Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Well, now that was just too short. You guys did not greet each other long enough. I know you guys didn't meet new people, if that's how quick it takes to, to greet. We're going to work on that. We're going to, I tell you what, I, I, before, before I came back here, I experienced new churches all around, whether it was in Indiana or Texas, and there is something special about being greeted. If you have attended here for any duration of time, I would encourage you, but just a few weeks ago, we mentioned, hey, it's okay. If you see someone, you know you met them, and you forget their name, there is grace. There is grace. So I would really encourage you, during this meet and greet time, if you see someone, if there's someone in your side, I'm not saying walk a half mile across the church, meet someone new. Let them know that they are welcome here. And if you are new here, we do welcome you. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, I made it two weeks. She hasn't left me yet. Yeah. I was going around asking people, hey, when does it start feeling real? Greg Merrill's like, I think about 47 years it starts feeling real. But I do want to point out, Jan and Leroy Grubaugh come this Tuesday, correct? 65 years of marriage. 65 years of marriage. Yeah, that's something to behold. That's something to behold. Hey, I wanted to keep you updated on what we're doing here at the church. So pull out your bulletins. This is a way I would just really encourage you. um, Stay connected with with what we're doing here at NAPNAS. And to uh, finding out what God is doing. There's a lot of new stuff, a lot of new chapters. Find out what God is doing. Um, First and foremost, uh, if you find one of those black pads in your row, let us know that you are with us. Let us know that you're worshiping with us. We go through those. um, And if you have prayer requests, write those in there. We pray through those each each and every week. Um, I wanted to draw your attention to Easter activities. This coming Saturday, we are partnering with St. Paul Lutheran and other churches in the area for a big Easter extravaganza. So it's not happening here. It'll be happening over at St. Paul here in Napoleon. So just uh, make note of that. As well as Good Friday, we will be having a Good Friday service, 6 p.m. April 7th here. That is a, uh, a deeply intimate time. I mean, it's incredibly beautiful. It's not your typical service. We mix things up. We do a little bit things a little bit differently, I would invite you, come on out, bring the family. It is, it is a very unique time of reflection and meditation before we celebrate then on Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, well, we will have three services starting at 7.30 and then our regular two services at 9 and 10.30. There will be, um, it'll be, the nursery will be open during the 7.30 time frame. Um, it just won't be manned. So if you bring your children, just know that there won't be anybody, there won't be any staff back there. Um, but those are the three services. And then the last thing I want to point out, start getting on your radars. Start communicating. If you hear people from the church, May 7th is going to be our Serve Sunday. If you've been here for uh, a year or so or, or more, you know that we've started this tradition that sometime in May we do a Serve Sunday. So we will meet here, but then we're going to go out into our community and we're going to serve this, uh, the city and community of Napoleon and Henry County. So just make note of that. May 7th is our Serve Sunday. Also, we just want to thank you. 
Thank you for your continued faithful giving here to NAPNAS. Everything that you guys pour into, everything that we pour into this church, God is using in amazing ways, including the alabaster offering. And so we can continue to do that. We, you see the giving boxes, you can give online. But we just want to continue making mention of that because it is truly a form of worship. But as we continue into the word this morning, would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we sing, hallowed is your name. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Lord, would you be with each and every one of us as we open up your word? Lord, would you open our hearts? Would you open our ears to experience you in a whole new way that we, we can leave this building this morning having learned something new about you that we can take into our, our weeks? Lord, we love you and we praise you. We give you this morning. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. We are in Luke 19 this morning. As we continue in our series through Luke that we began way back in Advent, we are making our way through Luke, and we are in Luke 19. But before we do that, you know, one of my most favorite things about being a pastor is that I get asked a lot of questions Now, it's not my favorite thing because I know all the answers, because I assure you, I don't know all the answers, and many of you who have asked me know that I don't know all of the answers. But when you get asked a question, it forces you to think critically about something maybe you've been thinking about for a long time. You're like, yes, now I can share this. Or maybe you've never thought about it, and you're wondering, wow, I need to really figure that out. You know, being asked questions is being like on a roller coaster, right? It's the thrill. You truly have no idea where it's going to turn, when you're going to get flipped upside down, or how it's going to change your viewpoint on things. But one of my favorite, ultimate places to be asked question is in a room full of little kids. Because you truly then have no idea what is about to be asked. And I'll tell you this right now. Little kids tend to have better questions than the adults do. Because they aren't afraid. They aren't afraid of being wrong. They aren't afraid of of not knowing the answer or thinking that they should have known the answer. They ask big questions. Just the other week, I was back in the the kids' department on a Wednesday night. And little Maddie Calvin, Maddie Calvin, little eight-year-old second grader, she comes up to me and she's ready to ask this question of all questions. Who created God? Little second grader, eight-year-old, she's thinking about this. Who does God have parents? Who are God's parents? As adults, will we know God is God? No one created God. He just is. Well, you try explaining that to an eight-year-old second grader. And so I, I'm, I well, God is God. There, God doesn't have parents. And she's like, well, no, that's impossible. God can't not have parents. So... In the unsatisfaction, the dissatisfaction, she's like, fine, if you can't give me an answer. So she runs off. And by the time I get over here to the, this side of things, I see she's found Ben. <laughs> and I watch her. As I'm walking down the hallway, she looks over. Him, she points out to me. He couldn't give me an answer. You give me an answer. Who created God? I don't know what Ben told her, but she was still unsatisfied because a few minutes later she finds me again. How can I relate to God to find out, talk to her parents? She is struggling through this, really wrestling. How can I relate to God if God doesn't have parents? 
Like that's the most empirical foundation of all things. If the way I was created isn't how God was created, then how can I relate to him? And here's this little second grader, Maddie Calvin, seeking, searching, diving into the questions that you and I, we just dismiss. Because eventually what happens is as little kids get older, they become like you and me. Old, boring adults. When we think about questions such as this, when we think of a question or when we get asked a question or if something is confusing, if we hear something and we're like, well, that doesn't make total sense to me, but I'm just going to, I'll go with it. We, we dismiss it. And, and it sounds good. It's that Christianese language. And so instead of tr- diving deep to understand it, like who created God, we just repeat it. But friends, how often do we go through our lives and we get stuck on these questions and we're wondering, well, wait a minute, no, is there an answer? Is there something that we need to go dive deeper into to experience in a greater way? But as adults, we just dismiss it. Isn't that so discouraging? We hear all the time about how Jesus is so great. We hear all the time that Jesus is the greatest thing, that God is good, that he's got this big plan out for us. And that if we would seek him and, and share him and receive him, that he will be there and we can, we can have that. And we hear it and we repeat it. But how often do we actually experience How often do we actually become like the little child seeking, saying, well, yeah, if you're going to say this, I'm going to call you out and I want to make sure that you actually hold up to your end of the deal. Or as adults, when we come across these big questions, do we just like, well, so-and-so said it, so it must be true, so we're just going to keep on saying, I don't know if I believe it, but I'm going to pretend I believe it and we're just going to keep on walking, repeating it and repeating it, and repeating it, and maybe eventually we'll believe it. Don't we get tired of not truly experiencing what we're saying? Don't we get tired of being discouraged because we're scared? Because we don't have the answers. We can't articulate the answer. We can't articulate an experience that we've experienced the goodness and the greatness of God. But we hear it, so we repeat it. And we walk in this cycle of, yeah, I hear it, and I, I'm supposed to know it, and we're supposed to experience it, but it is what it is. And our, and our kids ask us, well, what about this, what about this, what about this? And you just say, well, I don't know, or you give them a, a generic answer. As we jump into Luke today, we're going to read about a story we're going to read about Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And I, I find it so appropriate because Zacchaeus, the story of the wee little man, that, you know, if, if you grew up in church, you more than likely heard this story as a little child. And you know Zacchaeus as a wee little man. And I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves today is, how do we, what are the steps to be more like children because little maddie calvin 
she, when she doesn't hear the answer that she needs to have, she keeps on diving and diving and diving until she knows it, until she understands it, until she experiences something greater. For us as adults, how do we become like that child? So we don't have to just repeat, but we can understand, we can experience, we can encounter Jesus. And so today as we jump into Luke 19, we're going to see a few different things. Just a few weeks ago, we were in Luke 15. And Pastor Ben walked us through the, the story, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son as he basically wants his father dead and then he comes back, he betrays his family, but then he comes back, he, he goes against every normal thing, morally superior thing, and walks away. But then he comes back. We're going to see that fulfilled today in this true story with Zacchaeus. We're told in Luke 18 that we must have a heart like a child. We must receive the kingdom of God as if we were children in order to enter it. Well, today we're going to watch Zacchaeus be like a little child as he encounters and experiences Jesus. And then finally, again in Luke 18, we're told it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It is impossible for anybody with wealth and riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And yet here with Zacchaeus, as we will learn, a very wealthy man, he finds salvation. He encounters the kingdom of God and enters right in. All of this fulfilled in these 10 short verses. Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, we don't know much about Zacchaeus. This is kind of his little biography. This is what we've been told about him. But one thing we do know is that he has been told something about Jesus. Why else? Why else would he be running towards a tree? He's been told something about Jesus, but he doesn't simply take it for granted. He doesn't hear it like a little child, like little Maddie Calvin. He goes running. He needs to find out for himself. He needs to understand, to encounter, to engage with this supposed person who is changing the world. What's more is that we're told he's a chief tax collector. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the time that this is written, here we have this Jewish man. We can infer he's Jewish simply because of his name. We have this Jewish man who is literally collecting taxes, the chief person who is collecting taxes from all the other people. This job is the lowest of all jobs. This job means that you have betrayed your family and you are, you are ripping them off. You are stealing from them, essentially. You are defrauding them for your own personal gain. Just like the prodigal son, taking the wealth of his family and running off with it. Being a tax collector was a job that, yes, you could get rich and you could get powerful, but it means that you have gone against everything you were raised in. You have gone against the family. You are the chief of all sinners. He was wealthy because of defrauding people, and he was short. 
This is what we know about Zacchaeus. So here is this man who in the eyes of anybody morally good, in the eyes of anybody who is uh, righteous, here is this man who he should be admonished. He should be lectured. He should be disciplined. He should be told everything that he's been doing wrong with his life. And he definitely should not be invited to the side of this amazing teacher, this amazing savior of the world. But in hearing that Jesus was coming, we are told that he runs ahead. Again, not taking things for granted. He could have accepted his fate as a rich, good-for-nothing tax collector. But instead, he goes and he runs and he, he climbs a tree. Everybody else is on the ground. They're waiting for him like respectable people. And, but he goes up because he's a small, wee little man. He climbs a tree to truly discover, to encounter, to engage with the Jesus that he's been told about. The Jesus that is changing the dynamic of the world. He climbs a tree. And this is where we see the heart of a child begin. Zacchaeus, he does not hesitate. He does not think through everything that he needs to do. He does not think about the, the consequences of climbing this tree, or how it might look a little strange. It might be a little embarrassing for him. It might not be exactly respectable. I mean, he's already the lowest of the low in the eyes of everybody else. I mean, he should be concerned about how he can climb the ranks, not making himself look more ridiculous. He doesn't pause because of his status as a tax collector, his stature as a short little man, or because of his sinful past. He seeks. He seeks Jesus. Little Maddie Calvin needed to understand for herself, so she went seeking. She wasn't going to just take some boring adult's answer and accept it as the truth and just repeat it from there on out. She needed to be able to understand for herself. And when she wasn't satisfied, she kept on seeking and digging and diving deeper with enthusiasm. You should have seen Maddie. As she went around, she wasn't ashamed of not knowing the answer. She came with this big smile on her face and she was willing and ready. Let's go. She wanted to go toe-to-toe with me having a theological debate as to why I was wrong. I almost gave in. You know, I almost said, Maddie, you're right. I mean, she came in with so much confidence. She sought with vigor and zeal. She wanted to know who God was. And she didn't let the fact that she was young, she didn't let the fact that she didn't understand, she didn't let the fact that I was an adult and she was a little girl, she wanted more. And what's amazing is that she was willing to climb every proverbial sycamore tree there was. If it wasn't me, then it was Ben. If it wasn't Ben, then it was her parents. If it wasn't her parents, she was going to find every tree possible. So that when Jesus walked by, she would encounter him. How beautiful it was to see this, the hearts of this little girl be unsatisfied was just the mediocre. She wanted, she needed the excellence to truly engage and encounter. And if a child can seek with such passion and zeal, 
if a little man who is rich yet so valueless in the eyes of others, if these people are willing to run ahead and climb trees and seek with passion, how are we approaching Jesus? You know, some of us, we've been Christians maybe our entire lives. Some of us, but we've been Christians for maybe five minutes. Wherever we are at in our walks, we are all hearing about Jesus. We hear about Jesus, but what are we doing? How are we actually approaching him? When we don't understand, when we feel discouraged because we don't quite know, when our kids ask us difficult questions, how are we actually engaging with Jesus? How are we modeling out for those around us what it is to pursue him, to encounter him? Or are we just taking at face value, well, I know the Sunday school answer, that's good enough for me. I know Jesus is my savior, that's good enough for me. Friends, aren't we tired of simply knowing all of the right answers or knowing what to say or knowing how to say it? Aren't we tired of that being the limiting factor? Don't we want to encounter him, to see him move, to see him walk beneath us, to have him come into our lives? But if we're not seeking him, how can we experience him? if we're not pursuing him, if we're not climbing up every single tree available to us to encounter him, how can we actually begin to experience him? So often we allow limitations in our life. We make up every excuse. We say, well, maybe, maybe we just don't like the preaching. <laughs> ah, that didn't do it for me. Ah, it didn't leave me with this happy, good luck, go lucky feeling. It really didn't give me goosebumps today, so I'm just going to leave it there. Ah, we'll come, we'll come back next week. Maybe we don't like the worship, the singing. Maybe the songs, they just weren't, they weren't your favorite songs. So instead of pursuing something deeper or greater, we just kind of like, ah, maybe next week. Maybe there's someone in the room that when you see them, you become so angry because they hurt you at some point in time, and that distracts you from everything else. You're like, nope, I'm not pursuing anything this week. I, I just don't feel like it. We come up with every excuse to not encounter Jesus. Because we believe that our own preferences are greater. Friends, little, little Maddie Calvin is on her way to experiencing more of Jesus than so many of us are in our daily weeks, in our day-to-day -day operations, in our week-to-week -week basis. Little, little Maddie Calvin is on her way to experience Jesus in a way that she can then tell people, I experienced him in this way because she is seeking with vigor and zeal and passion, unwilling to be dissatisfied so that she keeps on going deeper and deeper until she knows who created God. How is God existing? And one day she'll learn that it's okay to not fully understand. But when she reaches that point, she'll have understood so many more things about who God is and what he wants for her life. How do we become more like children? What are the steps to be more like a child? Seek with vigor and zeal. Seek with vigor and zeal. Do we 
see the trees before us, to climb and to experience them and just pass them by because, well, everyone else is on the ground. Everyone else is doing this. Or have we heard about a Jesus that is worth climbing a tree for? Seek with vigor and zeal. Become like Zacchaeus. Become like Maddie. This is the first step to becoming like a child to experience, to encounter Christ. But we continue. Starting in verse 5, because this isn't the only thing. This isn't the only thing. Seeking isn't where we stop. Zacchaeus continues on. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Again, we go back to the prodigal son. Here is this man, Zacchaeus, chief among sinners. He has betrayed his family. He has taken the family's wealth and ran with it. And now, just because he's climbing a tree to see Jesus, he gets to be invited. He gets to be invited to walk side by side. Jesus is going to enter into his house. Again, think back to the prodigal son. Yes, you had the son who returned, but there was one more son. The self-righteous one. The brother who looks at the chief of sinners and says, Father, how could you possibly throw a feast for this man? He wanted you dead. He all but said so. He ran with your wealth and squandered it. And here's Zacchaeus, the chief sinner, the brother coming back. And all of the other people are saying, what? The guy's a sinner. Not only that, he's the chief among them. And Jesus is spending time with him. But we see that Zacchaeus doesn't let this hinder him. We see that Zacchaeus doesn't let this bother him. Jesus calls to him and invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. And we're left wondering, what in the world is going on? Zacchaeus, of all people, this can't be right. Zacchaeus, he needs to at least come down the tree with his tail between his legs and an attitude of self-loathing and, and self-penance and saying, Jesus, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm so sorry, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. But we don't see this at all. Does, does he hesitate? No. Jesus is calling up to him. And Zacchaeus, he's, instead of thinking to himself, well, man, i got to get my house clean. i got to make sure I get all those, uh, the, the, the gold and the money that I've stolen. i got to make sure all of this is cleared away. i got to do this. i got to do this. Zacchaeus doesn't do any of this. Jesus beckons him, come down from the tree. Today is the day that I stay in your house. Come down immediately. And Zacchaeus, without pausing, without hesitating, without balking at the invitation, we're told he immediately comes down. And what? Zacchaeus receives Jesus. He receives him. And he receives him gladly. Jesus doesn't shame. Jesus doesn't guilt. He beckons him. Right where you are. Right where you are. Your, your status as a tax collector. Your sinful past. Your stature that's limiting you from seeing me like a normal person. 
None of that matters. I invite you to come with me to enter your house. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't, isn't this beautiful? He hurries and receives the gift of the presence of Jesus in his life. He doesn't say, well, when I look better, Jesus, when my house is looking a little better, when I fix my mistakes, when I get my life in order, when my kids aren't so busy, when my kids are done with sports, then I will come and encounter you. When my kids don't have all of these things going on in their life, then I will lead them in following you. He doesn't say, well, when, jo- when my job isn't so stressful, when I get my financial situation under control, fill in the blank, X, Y, Z, whatever it might be in your life that is keeping you from coming down the tree immediately to experience Jesus. Going back to being a little kid, think about Christmas Day. Now you all have different traditions, I understand that, but work with me here for the point of the analogy. Christmas Day. That child wakes up, knows exactly where the gifts are, knows exactly that there are going to be gifts. That child doesn't wait to brush its teeth. That child doesn't wait to make their bed. That child doesn't wait until their parents are awake. That that child isn't focused on the mistakes that they made yesterday or the week before and how they're going to need to fix them. That child gets out of bed and runs down the steps and finds the gifts that are before them. They aren't pausing, they aren't waiting, they aren't hesitating. They see the gift, they aren't trying to fix themselves to receive the gift, they just receive them for what they are. And Zacchaeus in the same way, he doesn't stop to brush his teeth or make sure his bed is made. He comes running down that tree and receives the gift of Jesus immediately. And he does it with gladness. What are the steps to becoming like a child. Friends, first we seek with vigor and then we receive with gladness. But how often though do we put off because we feel that we need to get things ready? When Jesus is calling us, you hear each and every Sunday, we hear all the time from these amazing speakers online and everything, whatnot, how good God is. But we say, nah, I'm just I'm going to wait a little bit more. There are other things that are more important in my life. But friends, here is Zacchaeus, the sinner, the tax collector, the family betrayer, the one who deserves nothing, and yet he's the one that is experiencing the presence of Christ in his life. Why? Not because he's got everything right, not because he's morally superior, not because he's done X, Y, and Z and checked all the boxes, but because when a sinner takes on the heart of a child, he recognizes his need for something greater. In this case, Jesus. And they recognize that they can't do anything to earn him. But when a sinner takes on the heart of an entitled, embittered adult, we miss receiving the greatest things that could enter our lives. And in doing so, we prevent our children and our family and our friends from encountering Jesus. The decision is ours. We can either take the heart of a child or we can take the heart of an embittered adult. The self-righteous, the one who's saying, nope, I gotta do all of these things before I encounter Jesus, just like the self-righteous people here. I mean, think about it, friends. Imagine with me for a second. If Jesus came to you today 
and beckons you, saying, let me into your life. If you, if Jesus came to you today and you saw him and he said, come with me immediately for I'm going to spend my life with you right now, what would your answer be? Just think about that. What would your answer be? If Jesus came to you in this moment and said, I want to spend time with you. I want to enter into your life. I want to take you from your daily routine and I want to be in your home. What is your answer? I'd like to think most of us, hopefully, if I'm doing my job correctly, (laughs) that we would say, yes, come on in. Jesus, you're more than welcome. But friends, this isn't a hypothetical. There is no if before the question. It's a statement. Jesus is calling and inviting and beckoning us each and every day of our lives to experience him, to encounter him. And each and every day, we give him an answer. Not today, Jesus. Not today, Jesus. I'm not ready for you, Jesus. Or do we go running down the tree to find him and everything that he has to offer? Real quickly, this isn't the last of it, though. Seek with vigor, receive with gladness. And this is how Zacchaeus ends. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Think about a child, again, receiving the most perfect gift. Receiving the very thing on that Christmas day, everything that they wanted. They can't help but go and tell everybody about this perfect gift that they have received. Zacchaeus is this rich man, this wealthy man. He's got everything in life from a materialistic point of view. But in this moment, he's experienced Jesus in a way that so few have around him. And through the lights, through the lens, through the viewpoint of Jesus, his wealth means nothing. Zacchaeus doesn't start giving away out of his wealth. He doesn't give away out of abundance. He's not saying, oh, I have more than enough so I can start giving things away. He's giving away because of who Jesus is in his life. If Zacchaeus were poor, he wouldn't be saying, okay, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give this much, I'm gonna give this much, I'm gonna give this much, and well, I have nothing now, but no, it'd be the exact same. Zacchaeus would be giving away because he has so much more in Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all go and start giving everything away. I'm not suggesting, I'm not creating a to-do list for us in that way. But all of a sudden, think about it. If Jesus is the perfect gift, how do we experience the perfect gift even more? You experience it with others. 
a gift isn't truly the best gift in the world if you can't share it with somebody, if you can't experience it with somebody. I, one time I received this scooter. It was, man, it was the thing of the day, this little Razor scooter. And you know what? For me, it was the best gift. But I couldn't, I couldn't truly enjoy the gift unless I took it to my grandparents and showed all my cousins it. And say, look what I got. Look how cool this thing is. That's part of the fun and having the perfect gift. And Zacchaeus is, he's looking at others. He's like, look, this is who Jesus is in my life. And because of this, here you go. Here you go. I don't need it anymore. Here you go. Here you go. And if I defrauded you, hey, four more times what I took. Because you know why? Because that's how great Jesus is in my life. How do we become like children? Man, we seek and we seek and we seek. And when it's time to receive the gift, we receive it with gladness. We seek, we receive, but then we share. We share with abundance. We seek, we receive, we share. And it's beautiful. And today, right now, each of us, again, five minutes or 50 years, doesn't matter. We are being beckoned by Jesus to encounter him, to experience him. What is our answer? What is our answer? Are we willing to climb the proverbial tree to engage? How do you approach scripture? How do you approach community? How do you approach prayer? Our attitude makes a difference. If we just go into it begrudgingly, well, maybe I'll climb halfway up the tree and see if I can see him. If we seek him, forgive the cliche saying, if we seek him, he will come. If we seek Jesus, he will come. And like the love of the father of the prodigal son, he's not gonna wait for us to get down the tree to make, or wait for us to fix all of our mistakes. He will run towards us. He doesn't force his love on us. He's waiting for us. His love is beckoning us. Will we respond. And so friends, right now I'm going to invite you to, to, to close your eyes and to bow your heads. And I, I've been wrestling all week with how, with how to close this sermon. But friends, right now, before we get up and leave, before we go running out to our children or running out the doors to the next thing, can we just take a moment and ask ourselves how am I approaching Jesus? How am I approaching Jesus? What needs to happen in my life so I can encounter and approach Jesus? Would you just take a moment? What does that look like for you? How are you giving time to him? How are you demonstrating it to others? How are you demonstrating it to your children? Do your children see Jesus as that guy that, well, maybe we'll read about him? That's just another to-do list thing? Or do your kids see someone who is seeking with vigor and zeal, who receives Jesus with gladness? Friends, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to receive him with gladness? Friends, and I... This is strange for me too, but if you're, 
If this is on your heart right now, and you're in a place like, I need to experience him, I need to know him, would, would you just raise your hand? Is that you today, that you need to experience him in a way? Would you just take that opportunity? Is this your time to climb the proverbial tree? Would you raise your hand to experience him? Would this be a moment in which this becomes a reality in your life? I see that hand. I see that hand. Yeah. Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, would you help us become like Zacchaeus in pursuing you? Would you show us the trees that need to go before us, that we need to climb? Would you give us the courage and the, the perseverance? Father, would your love overcome us as you beckon us to experience you? Father, increase our love for you and help us to understand that there's nothing we can do outside of your love, to earn your love. Father, we love you and we praise you. It's through the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, real quick. You know, so often we ask WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, we know what Jesus would do. He would die for us. This week I would ask you this. What would Zacchaeus do? WWZD. What would Zacchaeus do? And how are you going to follow in those footsteps? Be blessed. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.